0: Hello and welcome to episode thirteen of the audiobook *Fire, Pain, and Ruin*, a Rutherford Manor novel. Where we are covering multiple chapters per episode, and uh, ultimately getting to a particular end of the book, and uh, then the full audiobook will be available afterwards once I finish recording the whole thing. Now, last episode we actually finished Act Two, which was a longer act in the in the book and we covered three chapters. And man, a lot went on. Um, most of it involved Louise and Billy. We learned all about Billy's secrets um, that he has with Vivian, that they can't have a kid. Conceiving just isn't working. They've tried all these methods. Louise and Lisa worked together to bring Vivian and Billy to the midwives. They figured the midwives have all the magic and that they could help the their great aunt Vivian and great aunt Billy, great uncle Billy. <laughs> He's not an aunt. Um, yeah, so they went there. The ritual went horrible because Billy forgot to tell them about his curse. The midwives were over cocky and thought they could handle demons, but they have never dealt with Munat. Munat is evil and uh, not like other demons. So that's kind of the end of Act Two. Um, we saw. The actions of fire, pain, and ruin between the three midwives, and Louise felt super guilty about the whole thing. Um, that's pretty much where we left off. Let's just double check here, because there is a lot. Ah, right. And Spaulding uh, tried to be a good man to his wife Penny, but Penny's having an episode, uh, one that she hadn't had as quite as intense since the birthing of the twins, and uh, he's not getting any, uh affection so he's just a sad man and being all uh sulking around about cheating on her so that's where we left off let's jump into act three act three impurity chapter 26 road of heart it wasn't supposed to happen again a month strong now into early summer After the distress of the first, one would think that an affair would not occur a second time. Spaulding was wrong. He was new to this. Now, here he lay, staring at a dirty inn ceiling. A naked woman lay by his side, a woman who was not his wife. An empty bottle of whiskey lay flat at his side. Guilt covered his being with a coat of shame. The torment in his soul wasn't motivation enough for him to avoid Irene, He thought he'd learned the first time. Perhaps the pressure of not having a brush with Penny since the last affair had pushed him over the edge. He craved the connection. Aren't you glad I came back? Irene's voice was silky as she caressed his neck. Spalding had been beginning to forget about the fling that they had in the spring. Life was taking a turn for the upright. The funeral home was on its way to being complete. He just had to rattle it up. Liquid courage and the temptress were too much. It was as if she planned her visit, waiting for him to have a moment of weakness. It worked. I knew you'd want to see me again, Irene said, resting her pale form on his chest. Her green eyes pierced into his soul. They always sucked him in. She smiled. That dimple. Her crooked nose that he had caused complimented it. She was a gem hidden in the rocks. Yeah, Spalding said, and it was true. He was glad that she had come back. Being honest with himself, the month apart had been hell. Whatever was on Penny's mind had never gone away after the day Lilith told him Penny needed help. His wife was continually distant, obsessing over pointless tasks and avoiding his touch. She was even beginning to pay less attention to the girls. Thankfully, Their daughters had Lilith and Vivian to take care of them when he wasn't around. Vivian, boy, Vivian and Billy, that was another story. Yeah, I'm glad you came here, Spalding said. Glad you came, Irene said with a giggle. She ran her hand up his face, playing with his chin. God, I missed your scent. This new Irene was difficult for Spalding to get used to. She was so much more affectionate. During their first encounter, they were young. It was a fling filled with passion and heat. They were both older now, and their needs oddly aligned. You still working for your father? Spaulding asked. Yeah, Irene said while scooting up to his eye level. Dad keeps me busy. We've moved away from the previous work. You just come to visit me then? Of course, Irene said. Age has done you well. Thanks, Spaulding said. Did you look like your father? Apparently. That's what some of the old folk around Rowley tell me. Tell me about him, Irene asked. Who was this woman? He liked it. Almost a little too much. She was still the fiery redhead under the sheets, but the affection afterwards was something entirely new. The something he was longing for in his home life. Was this what a good time was supposed to feel like? He was tired of feeling distant. Maybe feeling good was wrong. Apparently, cheating on his wife and breaking his morals was the only way he could enjoy himself again. Yeah, Spalding said, broad shoulders, jawline. My hair is darker than his. His hair was more of a copper tinged, eyes bright blue. Spalding wasn't just like his father though. If he were a good man who put his family first, he wouldn't find himself laying here with Irene. He still had a lot to live up to. That is a little different, Irene said. Maybe some of my other features come from my mother. I don't really know who she was. My father always said she was some random fling. Maybe a whore. Maybe an affair. I don't know. I get that. My mother died while I was young. I was in the carriage with her when some black hand men came by and fired at her. She was shot sitting right next to me. That's horrific. Spalding said. He stroked her hair, tucking some of her lock behind her ear. What was he doing? This type of intimacy was exclusively reserved for Penny. Instead, he was sympathizing with Irene's past. She was becoming more to him than just a hot mess in bed. It's okay. It was a freak accident many years ago. My father took care of me since. Niles did too. Apologies. Again, I never meant for that to happen to him. Spaulding said. I know, it wasn't your fault. Knox wanted to blame someone. Believe me, Niles didn't kill Alistair. I was afraid of that. Alistair, I could use some of your word of advice now, he thought. Any idea who did? Not a clue. We tried to figure it out. My father was pretty upset when we got the word. He liked him. Then you and Billy had to go kill his men and accuse them of offing him, Irene said. We were younger and more reckless back then. I like that about you. Irene leaned in and gave him a long, slow kiss. The way she moved made his heart race. The taste of her saliva, the aroma, it drove him mad. He wanted her again. He really couldn't. He had to get back home. As tempting as it was to continue drinking and spend the rest of the night fucking until sunrise, that would be catastrophic. He always made it back home, even after a late night a fight club. He could explain late nights, but not overnight. No one had asked questions the last time he hooked up with Irene. Jacob had been a little concerned, but that was it. This time, it was just between Irene and Spalding. Irene pulled away with a slight tug on his lip That reckless nature is what pulled me in. You're not like other men. No, I'm not. That's why I find myself in the strange line of work I do with Knox, Spalding said. Why are you so loyal to the Fleshers? What's so special about them? You could leave, go to the big city, Irene said. I know, Spalding said. Believe me, it's crossed my mind. He rolled up from his laying position and pulled up his trousers reaching into his pocket. He pulled out his pocket watch and flicked open the time. It was past midnight. Shit, Spaulding said, chucking the watch down onto the bed. I've got to go. Now, Irene asked. Yeah, Spaulding said. He leaped up from the bed and wobbled slightly. Guess the liquor was still alive and well in his system. Gaining stability, he walked across the room, collecting the rest of his scattered belongings. I'm going to be late. He leaned down and snatched up his shirt that had gotten kicked under the bed. Then his belt, socks, underwear, and boots. I actually have work to do, I don't know what you do, Spalding said. Irene reached over to pick up the watch, eyeing the name etched inside. Gerald, that's a nice name, she said quietly, closing it and pushing it towards the edge of the bed. I do work, mostly in Chicago. That's my point, I don't know what you do in Chicago. This couldn't happen again. That was exactly what he told himself the last time. Willpower was just a myth around her. He put the rest of his clothes on and retrieved his coat from where it lay on the floor. Irene got up and put her shirt on, buttoning up a couple of buttons. She walked over to him, still naked from the hips down. The way she swung those hips. No. See you around, Spalding said while putting on his top hat. He went to leave the room, but Irene blocked his way. She put her arms over his shoulders, wrapping them around his back. I'm coming back for you, Irene said with a mischievous grin. Spalding wasn't sure what to say. He just stared at her eyes. Neither one blinked. She leaned in and gave him another kiss on the lips, a shorter one, still just as tempting. She pulled away, releasing him from her spell. I'll see you around, Spaulding." Spalding took a couple steps to the door, opened it slowly, and then proceeded to leave. He didn't even bother to close the door behind him. He just kept walking. That was all he could focus on right now. One thing. It took all his might to focus on the simple task. If he thought about anything else, he'd get frazzled, and he'd think about her and how she made him feel. That was how she wins and she knew it. Spaulding was stuck in her grasp. Chapter 27, The Hunt. A month on since the twins' tragic attempt to help their great aunt and great uncle achieve their dream of bringing forth a new life. A month since the predator, the void. Since then, there had been an unsettling tingle deep in Louise's core. It didn't matter what time of day it was or where she found herself. It was always there. There were moments, too, when the void was worse. When she found herself alone with another adult, didn't matter who or when someone touched her. Rotten. Nothing was the same. The secret that she kept from Lisa tore into her. She wanted to share more with her sister. She couldn't. Great Uncle Billy was right. She had to keep the secret for great-uncle Billy's sake. Louise was no fool, especially so since the incident, and had seen the missing posters for Mr. Connors. They would never find him. Billy had taken care of the body. All the blood. The man's face. Agony. Louise's sense of helplessness. All that was just fused into her mind. Ideally, great-uncle Billy would be the only person to ever know about it. Louise wanted to put it in the past and move on. Yet, it never left her psyche. It was like she fought against herself for control or maybe Maxwell lived inside her like some creepy ghost or something. She didn't really buy into the idea of spectral beings. Great aunt Lilith, on the other hand, would be all over them. Father didn't believe in ghosts. Louise preferred to be like her father. Regardless of superstitious beliefs, Louise knew how she felt and she had to press forward. She had to keep being strong every day. No one would ever take advantage of her like that again. She was in control now. Louise would protect herself. She knew she wouldn't always be as lucky and there wouldn't always be someone nearby who could come and rescue her. She was her own person, just as the midwives were strong. A stick slapped Louise on the forehead, causing her to stumble backwards. She swung her stick wildly, trying to swat the attacker away. Confused for a moment, she blinked. She had dozed off. A clear sign that she wasn't nearly as well trained as she was hoping to be. Louise was still a kid. You left yourself open, came Great Uncle Billy's voice. He held a stick and stared at her. You can't ever lose sight of a moment when you're in battle, Great Uncle Billy circled around her. Louise raised her own stick, shifting her stance to keep him in view. They were in the middle of the forest, not far from Rutherford Manor. This was the same place where Great Uncle Billy had introduced her to hunting, then taught her how to fight. It was the same type of stuff Mom and Father would lose their minds over. They presumed Great Uncle Billy was teaching her survival. Boy, were they wrong. "'I did not,' Louise said. "'If you did, you wouldn't have gotten hit on the head.' Great Uncle Billy said with a smile. Louise's nostrils flared and she took a couple of deep breaths. Great Uncle Billy was right. She was distracted. For no rhyme or reason, her mind had slipped into a strange trance. It happened at random lately. She found herself reliving the moment with Maxwell. She became obsessive over what she felt or more so the lack of feeling since it happened. The emptiness forged a ball of confusion. It made her moody and frustrated. Getting hit on the head with a stick had a way of amplifying the anger. She had to pay attention though. What if she was confronted with another predator? She would have been done for by now. She had to be on guard, always, no matter what. Great Uncle Billy lunged toward her, swinging his stick. Louise dodged it. She slashed at him, but he was able to stop her swing with his forearm, hitting her stick away. Well done, Great Uncle Billy said. That's the kind of fighting you need to do. Always stay focused. Great Uncle Billy dropped his stick and wiped his hands together to brush off the remnants of bark. Louise dropped hers too. Are we done? Just a break, Great Uncle Billy said. We'll do a little more, then head back home. Can't stay too late today. Are you working with Great Uncle Knox tonight? Louise asked while taking a seat on a stump. That's right, Great Uncle Billy said. Plus, your father and Knox are preparing to build a new business, a funeral home. They want to keep me in the loop. Chances are, I'll end up working there at some point. That's exciting, Louise said. Then she confessed. I don't really want to go back home. Why, Great Uncle Billy said, that's where your family is. I know, Louise said. I just don't feel comfortable there. Honestly, I don't really feel comfortable anywhere anymore. Great-Uncle Billy sighed. He leaned against a tree and put his hand in his pocket. "'It's going to take time to heal. You need to open up to people about it.' "'I'm talking to you. That counts.' "'I know. I'm here to listen. I don't think it's helping, though. I just feel more confused, angry. I want to hurt things.' Great-Uncle Billy nodded. "'We have different origins. What you describe sounds like the curse.' The desire to inflict pain. It burns. Yeah, Louise said. That is what the curse does to me. You're feeling exactly what I felt. What I feel every day. It is why I hunt. What you did to Maxwell was... I don't even know what to say. That wasn't how people kill people, I think. I mean, not that I've seen it before. But you know, I mean... She wasn't sure how to ask. I treated him like the animal he was. Hunting is a release. It lets me feed my anger and soothes the burning inside. It's not really burning. Maybe, I don't know, and you find hunting animals helps? Great Uncle Billy shrugged. Yeah, he said. You are so quick with Maxwell. Ask it. Have you, she swallowed, killed people before? Great Uncle Billy stared at her for a moment. He was thinking, a little too long. The silence was almost a confirmation. The curse that I have comes from my mother. I'm sure you remember. She died as she was giving birth to me. So, the tribe and my father were left to raise me. I was wild and uncontrollable. I found it difficult to relate to anyone because the hunt always called to me. Munot always called. The demon? Louise asked. Yes. The owl from the ritual? Louise asked. The owl is a bad omen. The demon can shapeshift. That owl was Munat, Louise asked incredulously. Never trust what is in front of you when the owl is near. It only brings bad luck. Munat's hold over me was so strong that my father banished me from my tribe. I was angered by this, reckless, and I took on a bear. Like a grizzly bear? Louise asked with wide eyes. Great Uncle Billy chuckled. Yes, that is exactly what it was. What a foolish move. I won. The bear died, but he left me for worse for wear. If it wasn't for your father... I would be dead father saved you he did he found me on the road your father is a good man he puts his family first and cares for others he doesn't judge them yeah louise said i admire him i don't see him very much lately it's hard to relate to him or anyone i don't have much to talk about he loves you very much louise believe me He's always concerned about what to do for his girls. What happened to you shouldn't affect your relationship with him. I'll try. It's tough, though. I know, Great Uncle Billy said. It's not just that. He seems to pay more attention to Lisa. I don't know. I'm overthinking. It's like the past month I have been fixated on stupid things. I can't get them out of my head. Small details like how father looks at her first. Mum scolds me before Lisa... Do you think I'm being petty? I don't think that exactly matters, Great Uncle Billy said. You enjoy your time with your family. That should be it. I know, maybe. Lisa seems so much better at being a nice person than me. I just don't want to interact with people. It was like that before Maxwell, too. I mean, Mr. Connors, she shivered. I really don't care to be with people. Great Uncle Billy smiled. Why do you think I work with Knox? I don't know. Why? There are fewer people to deal with. Knox has me gather supplies for him. The butcher shop is like that too. I chop up meat in the back. That's it. I don't need to talk to people. What is it that you and Knox do? Louise asked. You gather supplies so late at night. What stores are even open then? We work with the government. I'm sure you know that. But perhaps when you're older, you can learn more about what your great-uncle does. For your own safety, it is best that you don't know quite yet. Louise folded her arms. She was kind of annoyed that great-uncle Billy was keeping a secret from her. That damn old adults club. They loved to treat kids like they weren't smart enough for secrets. She was never old enough. But apparently she was old enough for Maxwell. That was her anger talking. She knew Great Uncle Billy was just trying to take care of her. He handled the predator situation when she had no clue what was going on. She'd proven that she was just a kid then. Maybe she could prove she was grown up, then she could get in on the adult club. How are you and Vivian? Louise asked. I haven't really asked you, sorry. Don't be, Great Uncle Billy said. You asked yesterday. Did I? Louise asked. She truly did not remember. There she was, again, getting locked in her own thoughts and forgetting about everyone else. A part of Louise was concerned that she would be like this forever. The void wasn't getting smaller. For all she knew, it would last forever. She sure as hell hoped that it wouldn't. That would be unbearable. Nothing has changed, Great Uncle Billy said. Just like yesterday, and the week before, and every other week. The midwives haven't talked to us since last month. I tried to ask them about it in Rowley. They said they have no insight and are still searching. They haven't been together frequently either. They said that's part of the issue. That's strange. They're always together, Louise said. I know. Perhaps it's the summer fever people get lost in. Or perhaps the ritual did more damage than we are being told. Maybe, Louise said. How about we go talk to them at their home? Get some real answers. Perhaps. Vivian has basically accepted that children are not in the picture. Her mood is grim. And you? Louise asked. I am managing. I always do. Just as I manage my curse. If this is just another side effect of it, then so be it. Munat always has been in my life. I'm sorry, Louise said. Don't be... Great Uncle Billy said. He straightened and then pulled out his knife. How about we learn some more killing techniques on our way back? Sure, Louise said, getting up from the stump. You think we can find something to practice on? Great Uncle Billy grinned. If we find anything, we can. He pointed to the tip of the blade. If not, I can tell you about some interesting techniques to prolong their life before death. Why would you want to do that? Louise asked. It's called torture. Believe me, it can be quite a lot of fun. Louise smiled as Great Uncle Billy began to explain some techniques with the knife and flesh. The more she got to know Great Uncle Billy, the more interesting he became. He understood her. There were like two peas in a pod. Angry peas. She wished her sister could understand. She knew that would never happen. She and her sister were splitting thanks to boys and the void. At least she could enjoy a new friendship. And that is the end of episode 13 for Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. We have uh, one, two, three, four, four more episodes after this uh, for the audiobook podcast version. And of course, there will be the final version of the audiobook that will be available afterwards. Or if you just want to jump ahead, you can always grab the book on Amazon in ebook or print format. We uh, have to find out what happens because, like, Spalding clearly isn't uh, behaving like he should be. And Louise is going down a dark, dark path. And Uncle Billy is just showing her how to handle uh, grim situations. So uh, tune in next week and we can get into episode 14. Also, check out my Patreon if you haven't. There are monthly new short stories in written and audio format, along with other great bonuses. So I will catch you next week. Take care.